Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Just coming back from Alaska, and I was, you know, just thinking about, as we were singing that last song, how great is our God, and just seeing the majestic mountains, and, and uh, you know, just God's creation there in Alaska, and, and it is true, everything is bigger in Alaska. I think they say that in Texas, but I don't think that's true. I think everything is bigger. Let's just say it's bigger in Alaska. But it, just how incredible it is there. And, you know, God is such, God is greater than anything that we could compare him to in this earth. You go to the Grand, Grand Canyon and you see this vast, you know, canyons and stuff and you're just in awe and yet God pales in comparison to who God is. You stand in the shores of um, Ireland and over, overlooking the ocean and the rocky and, and it's just a majestic and yet that doesn't compare to who God is. God is so great. And he wants to be great in our lives and we have to let him do that. This morning as we are continuing this, uh, what ended up being a two-part sermon entitled, Truly Crowning Jesus King. It was unintentionally two parts, but you know what? There are no mistakes with the Lord. He knows what he's doing, and I don't know about you, but apparently I needed to hear this twice, and apparently some of you do too, and so the Lord's been doing a great work in my heart through this passage. It's been an incredible um, just time of sitting at Jesus' feet and, and listening to his words. And I think that uh, when Jesus was talking to these people, I, I can't help but to think that there would be tears in his eyes because of the content of what he's talking about. The text is just pouring out his heart over these lost souls who believe that they're following him. And he says, you're not following me. If you don't look like this, then you're not following me. If you're not fully committed to me, then you're not following me talking about what it looks like to be a disciple not just a learner not just somebody who listens to Jesus and and understands intellectually what he's saying it's not just an intellectual ascent it's not just memorizing scripture but it's actually taking the words from scripture the word and allowing it to just completely wreck your life in a good way that's what God wants to do in our life he wants to wreck it and we do a pretty good job of that ourselves but God wrecks our life in such a way that it makes beautiful art it makes something beautiful we are his poema his workmanship created in christ jesus for what good works good works he created you for something majestic because he's a majestic god and so as we look at this text this morning and we consider what jesus is saying we have to be real with ourselves jesus was trying to be real with this crowd and he was trying to draw out to them trying to help them understand doing a little heart surgery on them saying hey this is what it looks like to be a disciple. Measure your life against this. He was talking to those people who were false disciples. He's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to those people who think they're disciples that are not. That, that Jesus, when he said, follow me, they're like, okay, well, I'll follow you today. But they were following him with selfish ambitions. They were following him not because he had a plan, but that they had a plan. They were following him for whatever reason. And many, many in our world today do that. They follow Jesus for some selfish reason. Some reason, something that they can get out of it. And of course, if you, if you break it all down uh, to, the, to, the, you know, to, to the, the ground level, of course we're seeking something, right? We're seeking forgiveness. We're seeking salvation. We're seeking rescue. That's what we're seeking. And God offers that to us. But if we're coming to God for something 
other than that, then we're coming for the wrong reason. If we're coming to God because, you know, we want to be wealthy or we want to be health, wealth, and prosperity, we want to be healthy or we want to be this or that, and it's not really ultimately about what he has extended his hand to give, then we've come for the wrong reason. Here's what I know. Is that when we come to God and we come to him through Jesus Christ, the way that he intended us to come, you know, like confessing our sin, like laying down our lives, like burying our souls before him, say, God, I understand who I am before you. I don't belong here, but yet you've invited me in and I'm coming and I'm burying my heart to you. That when we come like that, man, does he open up the floodgates of heaven? Does he bless our lives? And yet even when we come in selfish motives and in selfish ambitions, God still oftentimes, doesn't he bless you? Doesn't he continue to do that? Because God wants to work in your life. God wants you to see him for who he is this morning. He wants you to understand. Jesus is trying to rip back the veil a little bit of the heart and say, listen, I'm not a God who will conform to your image. You have to conform to my image. You can't create me in your image. I've created you in my image. And what he's saying is you just got to, you have to come the way you are and I will change you. But you have to fully commit to that. It's a full commitment. You have to crown him king of your life. And so uh, as Jesus is talking to these people here in this crowd, that's what he's speaking to them about, about crowning him king. About what a disciple looks like. So stand with me if you would please. We're going to read the text. We're going to look at verses 25 through 35 this morning. A little review and we'll finish the text this morning, Lord willing. And here we go. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has an ear to hear let him hear. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning and for what it means for us, God. In one sense, it's a wake-up call. In one sense, it's sobering words, but yet, in a whole other sense, there's rescue that I hear. There's redemption that I hear. There's a, a calling to come into relationship with you. We hear your heart, Lord, in this passage. May we truly understand may we evaluate our hearts this morning lord may we allow your spirit just full reign today and to do whatever you want to do let our guard down this morning lord 
pierce the hardness of our hearts. Help us to see your greatness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. When Jesus was saying these words, there was a great crowd there. He was just handfuls of months away from going to the cross. From the most tragic triumph that would ever occur on the face of planet earth. The moment when the king of kings would be crucified on a criminal's cross. God in the flesh would actually humble himself and allow man to humiliate him. And then he would die. No doubt many of the people that he's speaking to here in this crowd were there that day. Jesus knowing where he's headed. You can imagine the urgency in his voice. That he was going to die for these people. That he was going to give up all. If you put it in comparison to what he's asking them to give up, it makes sense. You have to understand, he understands where he's headed. He's headed to give up all. And to many, even his disciples would say how tragic. How tragic that the Son of Man would come and that He would be crucified on the cross. And yet, God the Father would say, no, how triumphant. How triumphant it is that I would send My Son and it would please Me to do that so that you could be reconciled to Me. The Father Himself saying, no, no. You're looking at the cross all wrong. There's triumph in it. Jesus came to deliver victory over the enemy and sin over and death. He came to, to, to redeem us, to buy us back with His blood that we could gain eternity with Him. That we would be bought back from the clutches of sin and death. Listen, since the fall of mankind, since the Garden of Eden, all of humanity has been waiting for this moment where, they, where, where, where Jesus would come and He would lay down His life and He would buy back the fall, the, the, everything that happened in the fall. And He wouldn't come as a glorious King, but He would come clothed in humanity as a lowly servant. Just as the Lord said He would in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is known as the Proevangelium, which is the first gospel. We find right there, right after the fall, as God begins to speak to the woman, to the serpent, and He says this, He says this to the enemy, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between her, your offspring, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise His heel. The pro-evangelium, proto-first, evangelium, share the gospel. The first gospel is found clearly in this passage, it tells us here that the Messiah would come as the promised offspring of the woman. We see this promise continued to, to go forth as God would speak to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, and he would say, I will bless you through your offspring, not offsprings. It's a continuation of the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. Paul would confirm that as he would write in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, of the promise that God gave Abraham, he would say that promise is the Christ. This is speaking about Jesus. Now, does that blow your mind? The gospel right here 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Listen, the seed, the, the, the offspring there speaks of seed, speaks of a virgin birth right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Not only that, but we also find the cross being spoken of in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It's the gospel right here. He says that, he says to the enemy, you shall bruise his, speaking of Jesus, heal. What he's saying is the Messiah is going to experience some bruising, some crushing, but it's not a fatal blow. It will hurt him, but it will not keep him down. He will rise up over the top. But notice the enemy, what happens to him. He shall bruise. That word bruise can literally mean to crush your head. It is a fatal blow to the enemy and his twin sister's sin and death. Jesus Christ is coming to put the fatal blow upon the enemy. It's where Jesus would, through the cross, crush him and overtake his dominion. You see, although the cross was despicable, it was necessary, and it's through the cross that redemption happened, and that's where our victory was won. You understand why Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, he said, teletestai, meaning it is finished. He was telling us right there when he was hanging on the cross, I proclaim victory over all who would believe upon me. It is finished. That was the fatal blow to the enemy. Those who were stranded in sin and held by the clutches of death now had hope through the blood of the Lamb. That's what redemption looks like. God wants you and I to know this morning that He did exactly what He said He was going to do. He provided a way of escape. He provided salvation through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And He brought victory into all of the lives of those who would believe upon Him. Do you, do you believe today? Do you believe? Guess what? If you do, it's a proclamation of victory in your life. Jesus wants you to know today that it is finished. It is finished in your life. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. It's finished. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen next month. It's finished. It is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. I don't care what problem you have today. You can proclaim that truth over your life. It is finished. It. Any, any kind of adversity that comes in your life, any kind of struggle in your life, sin, anything, fear, whatever it might be, it. Oh, it. That thing, whatever it might be, is. I love that word because you understand what that word is? Present tense. So that means tomorrow it is, the next day it is, it is. It is present tense. You can say it right now and next hour. You can say it again. It is finished. It is finished. Completed. Totally done. There's no work for you to do. He's done the work for you on the cross. That's why He proclaimed you. It is finished. He brought it to an end. Now listen. This only applies if it's a conditional word. If and only if you truly crown Jesus king of your life. In other words, you can't claim victory if you're not on his team. 
You can't claim the victory of Jesus if you don't belong to Jesus. Here last Saturday night, I don't know if you're a UFC fan. I happen to like some of that stuff. Don't judge me. It's okay. I'm not a big sports fan. It just so happens I like guys watching guys beat themselves up. But anyway, here's the thing. There's an incredible strategy in that. I'm, I'm serious. There's a strategy in it. But anyway, enough about that. Here's the thing. Conor McGregor fought Nate Diaz last Saturday night. Now, Nate, or Conor McGregor won the fight. You can't proclaim victory if you're not on Conor McGregor's team, right? You can't say, oh, I have victory in Conor McGregor, but you're not on his team. Now, well, he won the battle in the cage, but his teammates won. They gained the victory. They all won. That's what Jesus did for you. He fought the battle for you on the cross against sin and death, against the powers and the principalities that, that, that belong to this world. He fought that battle for you and He won and now you gain the victory. It's yours. But you can't have it if you're not on His team. You can't proclaim that victory if you're not on His team. And guess what? The awesome thing is he, He's inviting everyone to be on His team. There's not a single person that He's saying, no, 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 not you. I don't, I don't want you. If you... Maybe in, in elementary school or whatever, maybe it still happens to you. You're, you're picking sides on intramural or whatever it is. And, and you're the last one and you're like, yeah, they don't really want me. That's why I'm the last one. You ever been there? They're like, oh man, they don't want me. Je Listen, Jesus chose you first, every one of you. He chose you first. There's not one person that he said, no, not that one. We're not, I'm not sure if I want that one yet. He wants you. He wants you on his team. He wants you to experience the victory that He has, he has uh, given us through the cross. He's chosen you. All you have to do is respond. But in so doing, you understand that there is a great commitment that comes with that. Jesus is always real when it comes to making disciples, folks. And He's being real with this crowd because He knows time is short. Many of these folks are not going to heaven. You understand? Many of these folks are not going to make it through. They haven't, they haven't passed on to the narrow gate. He understands that and he's getting real with these guys because he understands that time is short. They are simply fans. They're not followers. And there are many in the world today that are fans of Jesus. They talk about Him. They even know some things about Him. They can quote maybe some verses about Jesus. Oh yeah, you know that verse, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh yeah, I know that, Jesus. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Does that Jesus know you? That's really the more important question. He knows time is short. He knows that there are lost people in this crowd and so He is trying to define for them what it looks like to become a disciple, to truly crown him king. Now, there are some that would say salvation to discipleship are separate. I don't see that. I don't think, see Jesus saying, hey, there's a difference between salvation, you're saved, and then discipleship. There is no. Jesus told us to go into all the world and what? Save people? No. Make disciples. What, what does that mean? Share the gospel. That's what it means. You are making a disciple. But, but really smart people that, you know, sit in places that I don't sit, will we'll try and make a distinction that they're different. They are not different. They're exactly the same. You can't be saved if you're not a disciple, in other words. 
So everything that Jesus says here pertains to salvation, pertains to coming to Him. He said, if you come to Me and you're not willing to do any of this, you cannot be My disciple. That's like emphatic. You, you, there's no getting around that. You cannot be My disciple. Again, it's conditional. We have to love Jesus with our whole heart. We have to love Him with everything that we are. If you're here today and you're like, wow, I don't know that I love Jesus that way. Uh, that, does that disqualify me? No, no, that, that just means that God needs to get your attention this morning. That just means that God is trying to draw you into a deeper place with Him. Listen, we are all a work in progress. So it, it's not like, hey man, if I'm, if I'm stumbling some of this stuff, the Lord is saying, hey, then come to me. You come to me in whatever it is that you are holding back from me and, and, I'll, and I'll help you through it. I'll help you put it in the right perspective. I'll help you get centered on me. I'll help you work through it. But don't act like you are if you're not. That's what he would say. That's, that's like just being real, right? It's God's just saying, hey, just be transparent with me because guess what? I know. I know. Jesus is asking us, to give all to Him. And some would think, well, that, that's a lot to ask, Jesus. He's really not asking anything that you're not already doing. You realize that? That you've crowned something king of your life. Something. You're worshiping something, someone. It might be Him or her or that, whatever it is, but you're worshiping something. You've proclaimed value of something in your life that says, you know what, that is my value. Maybe it's lust. Do you know how many people have, have crowned lust king of their life and they've given all to it? They've given their family to it. They've given their children to it. They've given their, their entire life over to that king, lust. And they fall into adulterous affair and then their family is destroyed over it because lust was king. There are people that crown substance king of their life and they are on a constant pursuit of that thing whatever it is in their life they are so one track minded they are they got the um blinders on and they are focused on their god and they will do whatever is necessary to worship that god and they give all to it there are many that give that crown career king the, everything else is subject to the career. I'm working on my career. I'm climbing the ladder. I'm doing this. You know, I've got to do this and all that. And they crown him the, the career king of their life and everything else hurts as a result. Jesus isn't asking for something that you're not already doing. You're already doing it. He's saying you're just doing, you just have it the wrong focus. You have to turn your focus on and give that attention to me. What I will tell you is that, that, that lust, substance, you know, career, those make terrible gods. They're, they're the kind of gods, little g, that only take from you. They don't give you anything. That's where Jesus differs. Jesus is the kind of God, big G, that not only requires you to give him all, but in return he gave you all. Jesus said, hey, 
I'll give so that you can get, but you have to give in order to get. He is the one and true living God. And He's telling you that I gave all for you, so it is reasonable for Him to ask that you give all to Him. Jesus can't be second fiddle. He has to be first chair in your life. And that's what he wants to talk to these people about. There are four things that I wanted to share with you from our text. I shared two of them last week. The first being truly crowning Jesus king means that he is above all human relationship. In verse 26, you can see it there. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say that he cannot be my disciple. Now, we went over this last week, so if you didn't, I'm, not, I'm just going to brush on it real quick, but this coming that Jesus is talking about here is effectively called a call to salvation. It's when a person truly crowns him king. They en- they, they, they're entering into a relationship with him. But listen, many people try to come to this relationship with a prenuptial. Like they show up at the cross and they're like, hey Jesus, I just need you to sign this. Like I'm going to hold back this, it's okay, right? Because that's what we do in our society. Like we're going to hold something back and we're going to say, I want to be in relationship with you but not fully committed. I'm not going to commit that. I'm going to, I'm going to essentially isolate my assets off the table so that you and I can be in a half-hearted relationship. Make sense? Many people approach Jesus that way and they say, hey, Jesus, I have this prenuptial I'd like you to sign because my father and mother, my, my wife and my child or whatever it is, my brother and my sister are more important to me than you. So as long as we can exclude that, then we're good. Jesus says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. He says that if you love your father, your mother, your, your, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister more than me, you cannot be my disciple. And again, we explain that he's clearly not saying hate them. It's not what he means, but what he is saying is in comparison to the way that you love him, that people might look at that and say, well, you love Jesus way more than you love them. Not that you don't love them, you understand? But that you love him more. That's what he's saying. And if you can't do that, then you can't be his disciple. Again, it's emphatic. Jesus has to have the priority over all relationship in your life. Secondly, he says, truly crowning Jesus king means he is more important to you than your own life. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Many people hate their own lives. That's why people commit suicide, because they hate themselves, right? That's hating yourself in the wrong way. It's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's asking us to do is hate ourselves in such a way that, um, or, or, or to love him in such a way that it would look like we hate ourselves in comparison. That's what he's saying. Again, or what? You cannot be my disciple. Here's the prenuptial Jesus, but I want to hold myself back a little bit. I'm going to give you 85% of what I have, but I'm going to hold back 15. It doesn't work that way. You cannot be my disciple. 
so we went on last week and we talked about what does hate look like in your own life? And it's illustrated, I think, in verse 27 where he says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hating yourself means that you are dying to yourself. It means that you're taking up your cross, an instrument of death, that you're, you're dying to yourself. Like you don't care about your own comfort, about your own reputation, about your own economical stature more than you care about him. That's what it's talking about, to hate yourself, to take up your cross. Again, it, the, the cross has one purpose, and that's to die. There is no other purpose for it. What you're saying to everyone around you, if you don't do this, is that Jesus isn't that valuable. I mean, we have to have a little Jesus in our life, but he's not that valuable to give up all of this. Those things that we would consider precious, whatever it is. He said you have to take up your cross. You have to die. And then you have to let me live through you. That's, that's the idea that we were buried with Christ and we were raised in newness of life. That newness of life is him living through you. Not you living through yourself again. That would just be disastrous again, right? But Jesus rises you up as a new person. He being in, totally in control of your life because you're submissive to Him. He has to be that important. That you don't consider your own comfort, your own reputation, your own stature more than Him. That's what it looks like. And yet, isn't, that's how Jesus lived, isn't it? exactly how he lived was he concerned about his own comfort when he came to earth he's like man i don't even have a place to live to i don't have a place to stay tonight but hashtag i'm comfortable you know he's not you can x the hashtag if you want no big deal <laughs> but what he says here he's just saying jesus gave up everything he gave up his own comfort his own reputation it says he humbled himself in philippians chapter 2 he humbled himself. He gave up his own reputation like he departed heaven to come down to be the Savior. Like I'll let man publicly humiliate me for you. But you won't let man publicly humiliate you for him? How's that work? There are brothers and sisters across the world today that are literally giving up their lives for Jesus. Like that's how much you got to love him that you don't love your own life, that you're not trying to hold on to your own life. So many people are trying to hold on to their own life. They're like, I, I want to have Jesus, but I'm going to hold on to my own life. And he says, man, let it go. Let it go. No. Let it go, literally. Let me be in control. If you will do that, you will see that your life is in my hand, not in yours. How many of us can battle disease? How many of us can cure uh, sickness. None of us can do that. Jesus can. That's why he said it's best if you just let me handle these things. That's what it looks like to hate your own life. But I think the Apostle Paul says it better than I can in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, not even some value, a little value, but not of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify 
to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what it looks like to not hold dear to your life. Because if you hold dear to your life, you will block faith from, being, from working in your life and you will stop the Lord from being able to take you in places that He wants to take you because you're protecting yourself. Listen, don't be stupid. Be Spirit-led. But listen, sometimes the Spirit leads you right into the middle of danger. But if God called you there, you go. If God called you to go to the middle of the sedan today and preach the gospel and he put it on your heart to do it, you're, you're not going to say, well, but, the, but it's dangerous. Paul was going to uh, Jerusalem where he knew it was dangerous, where Agabus told him, if you go, you're going to be bound and you're going to be stretched. And he went anyway because the Spirit led him to go. And so loving Jesus more than you love your own self looks like that. Not holding dear to your own life. Again, is that reckless? Yeah, it's reckless abandonment in Christ. It's not, not reckless in the sense that, you know, um, if you do it on your own, that's reckless. This is surrender. This is what it looks like to surrender. Maybe you're loving yourself a little too much. Perhaps you need to check that. Discipleship means following Jesus and becoming more like Him, not following your own desires and becoming more like you. Because discipleship costs you nothing, but it costs you everything. What do I mean? Listen, to become a disciple, it does cost. That's what he goes on to say here. It will cost you. It doesn't cost you anything initially because Jesus did it, but yet when you come, it costs you everything. How does that work? Let me give you an example. If I want to go climb Mount Everest and I, and, and, and I don't have the money to do it, it only costs like $70,000. Anybody going to loan me $70,000? I don't want a loan. I just want you to give it to me so I can go. Now, here's the thing. I'm kidding. I don't want to die. But, but listen, if that were to be my desire and I would say, hey, I want to go to Mount Everest and I want to climb it. It costs 70000 bucks to go. I don't have the money to do it. And some person came to me and said, hey, I'll pay your way. I'll pay your way. I'll pay everything. I'll give you everything you need. All the supplies, all the clothing, all the, you know, all the expenses that go along with that trip. I'll pay the way. It costs me nothing to go, right? But it costs me everything. Because I just committed myself and my life into, this, into the hands of this trip. Listen, the most, experienced, <laughs> the most experienced hikers die on Everest, man. If you're going, you have to be fully committed. You've got to train for it. That's what he's saying. That's what it means to become a disciple. That was what it means that it, it, discipleship doesn't cost you anything, but it costs you everything. Jesus goes on here and he says, if you're taking note, truly crowning Jesus King means that you've done the math. Like we're to consider the cost to follow him. Jesus says, don't come blindly. Consider the cost. It's only logical. God does use human logic. You realize that. Like he's not like, oh, I'm just, you're just going to be totally out in the left field, you know, all the time. Some of you are. Come on back a little bit. God's saying, hey, Bring it back a little bit. <laughs> the reality is, is God uses human logic. Why is Jesus using human analogies? Because he's using human logic to make it make sense to us. 
He uses two analogies here in verses 28 through 32 here. He, first one, he tells us about a guy who desires to build a tower. He's like, don't you sit down and figure out what it's going to cost to do that? Now, what he's talking about, a tower, he's not talking about a house. He's not talking about a shed. He's talking about a tower. Like, this is a multi-million dollar project. It's, this is no small task. This isn't something you just run into and go, I'll just throw up four walls and a, and a roof and there you have it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about building a tower. He says, who in the world would do that? Now, you have to understand what the listeners would hear when they heard that. Uh, th these people in this culture, it, it was a, you know, kind of a, a shame, fame culture. So, in other words, you know, when you engaged in something... Your reputation would be on the line. And if you didn't finish it, you would be shamed by the entire community. Like if you went into a building project and, and you didn't do something, you would be, they, would, they would look at you like, man, what, look at this guy. What is he doing? What an idiot. He started this project and he didn't have money to finish it. And he would be a laughingstock in the community. Nobody would take this person seriously from that point on. And Jesus is telling us, consider the cost. Follow me. Don't just haphazardly run into this. Think about it. He goes on and he gives another analogy. He says, if you're, if you're going to war, don't you consider if you can win the war? <laughs> don't you kind of evaluate whether or not you can, you can beat the other team? Don't you think you, that's a smart thing to do? Like, that's just logical to do. Well, I don't know. They have 20,000. We have 10,000 people. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe, maybe we're outnumbered and maybe they're far great warriors than we are and they're still far off. Jesus says, why wouldn't you just send a delegate and go negotiate peace rather than send your people into war and them die? That's being foolish. What he's telling us is that to become a disciple is no small thing. You're committing it, your entire life to Christ. So that means you're thinking through that a little bit. Now, I don't know how many of you guys who responded to the gospel the very first time you heard it, but for me, I had it over and over and over and over again. You know, as the Bible talks about, some sow seed, some water, some plant, but some reap the harvest. Eventually, that seed bursts forth fruit in your life and, you, and hopefully you come to Christ. But it took me a process to get there and understand this is the funny thing when when I was I didn't grow up in the church or anything but when I um, was evaluating whether I should come to Christ or not as a teenager or whatever I was I was literally evaluating I'm like yeah but I don't want to give up stuff so as somebody who'd never been churched before who never had a concept of any of this yet somehow I had an understanding that I was required to give something up in order to come it doesn't mean that salvation can't happen spontaneously because it does. One night in my bedroom, I just, boom, I was there. I, was, I just, I had a full recollection and I didn't, everything else was considered lost to me at that point. I wanted Jesus. So I came to Jesus. That's what it looks like to become a true disciple is when you consider everything else a loss and you just say, I'm cutting all of that off and I don't care what happens to that. I want Jesus. That's what he's saying. Consider it. How many of you, when you came to Christ, you understood that it was going to cost you something, like you're giving up 
something. You're going to have to, your life is going to change. You're not going to do it. He's going to do it. But, but you had to put yourself up on the altar. It's a living sacrifice. You just lay yourself up there and say, Lord, I'm all yours, whatever you want to do. Maybe you didn't say it in those terms, and maybe you didn't think of it in that way, but you had to give something. You had to consider it in some way. And that's what he's saying. MacArthur said that, he said that to, to, to build a tower and then not be able to complete it, he said there's so many people in the world that have done that in Christ. They, they, they profess to know Jesus and then they run off the other direction with a half-built monument. He said, those people will forever be left with a monument of stupidity. They didn't consider the cost. They didn't consider the, 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 of what they were doing when they did it. They just, it was all emotional. And I think that that's where uh, modern day church has gone is this emotionalism, which is, you know, hey, let's draw people forward and let's get them moving and let's do all this kind of stuff. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Go for it if that's what the Spirit leads you to do. But listen, understand that that's not in the Bible. Like, that's not what the apostles were doing. They weren't, hey, okay, we're going to do an altar call now. Everybody stand up if you want to accept Christ and come forward. You just accepted Christ. You made a commitment to Christ and you just followed Him from that. Jesus didn't say to His disciples, come say this prayer to me. He said, follow me. He just said, follow me. You just start walking with me. That's relationship with Jesus. Saying a prayer is nothing. If it's meaningless, if you're not committing yourself to it. The Bible says... It, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That confession is where? With your mouth, but it's happening in your heart. You're following him here. So when you come to Christ, it's wholehearted commitment to him. And yes, we, we have a form to do that. We, we do it in the modern church a certain way, but we have to be careful that we're not making false disciples. In the idea of just you know, hey, this is what the church service looks like and we're going to help people respond emotionally. We're going to bring the music up a little bit. We're going to bring the, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to speak in such a way to tug at the heartstrings and draw people forward. Boom, we just made some false disciples. Way to go. Be careful. Yeah, I have to be careful about this. Why don't we do an altar call every week? Why don't we um, call people forward? Because if the Spirit doesn't lead us to do that, we're not doing that. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to stand before the Lord and Him say, wow, Tim, you made a lot of the false disciples. Way to go, man. You don't want to stand before the Lord and Him say, man, you really, you really emotionally tricked people into saying words that were meaningless, right? And their lives didn't follow it. And they walked away from that going, man, this Christianity thing is just a bunch of, bunch of phony people putting their faith in something because they're weak and they need a crutch. And that, and that becomes, Jesus becomes the crutch. Our society has created something like that. Listen, we are called, every one of us, not to invite people to church so that they can be saved, but we are called to go make disciples in the world. Every one of us. Doesn't mean it can't happen in church. Yes, the gospel is going to go forward in, in a church service, and if people respond to it, praise God. Right? But that's, don't let that be your way of escape of not making disciples in your own life. To say, oh, Lord, I'm going to invite this person to church and 
maybe they'll get saved. I mean, be led by the Spirit, whatever He wants to do, but I'm just saying don't allow yourself that way of escape and, and say, you know, be careful. Just, just do what He says. Do what the Word says. We have to be careful that we're not creating an emotional environment so that people can falsely respond and now they think they have something that they don't. That was happening in Jesus' day. That's the kind of environment that the Pharisees had created. A false disciple environment where they, oh, if you just do all these things, you're going to be saved. Like, you'll be good. If you just follow all these rules, you'll be good. And then there's the normal person who comes into that and they go, dude, I can't do that. You know, maybe they respond to it initially and they're like, yeah, I want to do that because I want, I want, I want, you know, I want to go to heaven. And then they walk into it for a couple weeks and they realize like, what the heck am I in? I can't do this. No one can do this. This is ridiculous. I'm walking away from this. That is, that's not even real. And now they walk the rest of their life thinking that, you know. We all have a call to make disciples. We have to be careful that we, we don't do it in an emotional way. Not that God doesn't use emotion, but what we have to get people to realize is that when they come to Christ, that they are raising the white flag. Full surrender to Him. Here I am, Lord. All of me. Take me. I need you. Here's my sin. I'm bringing all my baggage with you. And here you go, Lord. And He will take it. But only if you're committing yourself to Him in your entirety. That's what truly doing the math means. He goes on here in verse 33. So therefore, just, you know, let me summarize what I just got done saying. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. How many times has Jesus said that so far? In, in, the, in the last, what, seven verses? How many times has Jesus said, unless you do this, you cannot be my disciple? This would be the third time. You think he's trying to get something across to people. You think he's trying to wake some people up to say, listen, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. Like, I want you to understand that you can't hold anything back. You must renounce all that you are. Everything that you are. To renounce in the, in the ancient Greek literally means to say goodbye to. When you come to Christ, you're saying goodbye to your life. To the life that you previously lived. You're turning your back on that life. And you're saying, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm yours. I'm saying goodbye. I'm renouncing all that is behind me and moving forward. Your plans are my plans. Literally, you're tearing up your plans of your life. You're throwing them in a fire. You burn down the barn. You're not looking back. You're going forward. You have come to him, and now you're on his program. That's what he's talking about. And he said it, he said this three times now. If you, don't, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. He can't be any clearer than this. This brings us to our final point. Jesus now turns to the reason that this renouncing is so important. Because if you do not renounce all that you are, if you don't love Jesus more than any other human relationship, if you don't love Jesus more than your own life, then you can never become the salt of the world. You can never become the salt of the world. Jesus goes on here, truly crowning Jesus king means you become salt to the world. Salt is good, he says in verse 34, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He, has, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus used salt as an illustration repeatedly in the Gospels. He used it a couple times, and every time he used it, he used it in a distinct way to illustrate what he was talking about. Salt itself is not a heavenly thing. It's an illustration. It's a parable that Jesus is trying to give us an earthly illustration of, of something that he wants us to understand from a heavenly perspective. You know, So he, he's saying, like in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said to his disciples, you are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. He said that in, in right in there in the beginning of the um, parable or the uh, Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the world. What is he saying in that perspective? In context of what he was saying, he was saying, you are the preserver of the world. Salt being a preserver, he was telling them, he was using it in that context. He was trying to illustrate to them that you're the, you're the pure fire of the world. You are the preserver of the world. So don't forget that. How you live your life matters because you are the salt of the world. And so he's telling these guys, preserve, live purely. Because you're the example to the world. If they look at you and they don't see anything different, they're going to say, what is this Christianity thing doing in people's lives? Nothing. But we, as the church, as God's body here in this earth today, we are what is preserving morality, whether you believe it or not. If we would just step out of the way as His church, then, then you know what? The world would have its way. But God is using us today to do that. And I don't think that's happening on Capitol Hill, folks. I think that's happening in your homes, and I think that's happening in your workplaces. I think that's happening at the grocery store. When you walk through and you're just laying salt out before people and you're loving people the way that you're supposed to, you're, you're hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You're, you're helping them understand. Well, why is that wrong? Well, the Bible says this about that. You should be careful about that. We as Christians do that, right? We're, we're being salt to the world in that way. In Mark chapter 9, verse 50, 49 and 50, Jesus uses salt to symbolize the disciples and the work that they were called to do. And here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is again using salt symbolically, I believe, to represent the unwavering commitment of someone who has truly crowned Jesus king. That's the context of what he's talking about. Like, like he's using it to illustrate the, the idea that you have to be committed. If you're not committed, you're not salt. Salt is good. Commitment is good. You, 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 listen, if you don't commit to him, then you're not really salt. And by the way, if salt loses its saltiness, it becomes worthless. It becomes valueless. This is speaking about somebody who comes to Christ who, who is not fully committed to Christ who says, hey, I'm halfway there. I'm 85% salt. But there's impurity in the, in the ambitions of coming. And so you, it's not real. And so you lose your saltiness. Can a Christian lose their saltiness? No, not in the sense that Christ is that in our lives. I mean, we can live our lives in such a way that, you know, we're, we're not being salt. But Christ is salt. Christ is in you. So the idea here is he's not talking to believers. He's speaking in the context of commitment to Christ, and that's how he's using this illustration. He's saying salt is good. But if you're not fully committed to me, then you may look like you're salt, but you'll lose your saltiness, and then you're just worthless. You're worthless. 
false discipleship is worthless. It ends up yielding nothing. It's a waste of time. Jesus is just saying, just be salt or don't be salt. Either be in me or don't be in me. Either be hot or be cold. Don't be lukewarm. Right? That's what he's telling us. It's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to the crowd that he was talking to. It's a wake-up call to the church today. Be salt. If you truly crown Jesus king of your life, you will be salt to the earth. You will be. God will use us in different ways. We will be the flavor to the world. You'll, 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 you'll become an additive to people's lives that God will use to help reveal himself. Don't forget that. Don't walk through life thinking that, hey, I have Christ, I'm good, and there's no other purpose for your life. You're salt. Be salt. Shake it up a little bit. Throw a little flavor in people's lives. Don't conserve Christ. Listen, I, I was telling John, I texted him earlier this week, I said, you know what? No matter where I go, there's ministry. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter where in the world I go. No matter where I am, there are people. Therefore, there is ministry. I was having breakfast one morning at the lodge there and just sitting there talking. And it's amazing to me um, how much God has changed my heart as it relates to people because I used to be very reserved when it comes to other people. Like I wouldn't just walk up to strangers. I mean, if I was joking around, I would, but not in any real way of, you know, having a conversation with somebody I didn't know. I, I just didn't feel comfortable with that. And over the years, I've seen God change my heart and give me his heart. And I start to see people the way that he sees them. And my heart starts to be burdened when I see a certain person like this lady. She, she's, she was the gal that was doing the, um, whatever, the, laid out the food or whatever at the, at the lodge there. So the second morning I was there, I was just sitting there having some coffee. I was just by myself. And, and I was reading my Bible. And, and the Lord just kind of put this lady in my heart. Hey, I wanted to go talk to that lady over there okay oh yeah i'm salt i forgot i'm not on vacation you don't take vacation as a christian you're salt so i go over and i start talking to this lady and i'm always you know i won't just i'm not you know you have to be you want to be spirit-led in what you do and i always wait for the spirit to open the window and he always does it's an interesting thing had incredible conversations throughout all my trip in Alaska as God just opened up the windows. You ask him to do it, he will. He wants to share the gospel with people. But anyway, back to my story. Um, this lady was sitting there, and I start talking to her. She's like 80-some years old, and, and uh, she came from Korea over to Alaska when she was, I don't know, in her 20s or something with 2,000 bucks in her pocket. They saved everything that they had, her and her husband, and they bought this property. This lady was the owner. I didn't know that. Sitting here talking to this lady, and she started telling her story about how she came from all this, you know, hard place in, in, in Korea over to Alaska and how God had started to provide for her. She didn't say the Lord yet. So I was just interesting. Um, she started telling me her story about how they, how they had, um, you know, bought this property. They built the lodge and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just kind of seeing where the Lord's going to take this conversation, you know. Where do you want to take it? Sometimes we're just, you know, your kindness is Christ to people. It doesn't always have to be the gospel in word. Like, you can just be kind and love people. And so I'm just kind of seeing what the Lord wants to do. And, and, and so 
you know, she ends her kind of her thing. And, and I said, well, let me ask you, because I felt like the Lord just opened up a little bit of a window. And I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Because she started telling me about her health and her health was going downhill and all this kind of stuff. And, and she was like, uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I do. I go to church when I, you know, on, during the season it's hard because we're here a lot, but I try and go to church, read my Bible and stuff. So I had an opportunity to just tell her, you know, the Lord just put you on my heart as I was over here. And he just wants you to know he loves you. And he sees you right where you are. And he wants to minister to you. You just got to get your eyes on him. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. I don't know what that's all about, but he does, right? It's just simple stuff. Guy was, guy, one of the guides opened up a window. I started sharing the gospel with him. I got to share the gospel with the guy. He didn't, he didn't even know it was coming. He opened up a window and I was like, whoop, you know? I, you don't have to force the gospel on people. They'll open the window for you if you'll just engage them and you have conversation with them, that's what being salt in the world looks like. It's not standing outside with picket signs saying, hey, God hates, you know, homos or whatever it is. You know, God hates homosexual, whatever the case is. That's not being salt to the world. You know, Christ is saying, hey, you, 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 yes, we, we, we don't acknowledge that that's a biblical and that's a sin, but, you know, do we stand outside, you know, um, other places with picket signs saying, hey, adulterers, will not inherit the kingdom of God or do we stand outside, you know, other shops and, and do these kind of things? Just, you, listen, just be, just be who God called you to be and, and everything will be okay. You don't have to make picket signs. Jesus didn't do that. So, be salt. Just be simple. Just have relationships. That's what God wants. What I realize, the more I walk with the Lord is He loves people. So that means no matter where you go, guess what? He wants to share His love with because he loves people. So if he loves people and we're following him, guess what? We're going to naturally just start to love people. That's what happens. If you don't love people today, and I've been there, and I'm telling you I've been there. It's, it's, it's a tough, it was a tough thing for me to get out of my comfort zone. But as the Lord, he, and he will, he will push you out the door. He will. But you have to, don't resist it. Just let him do it. And I, it's going to be uncomfortable at times. But listen, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with it today than I have in the past. So be the salt to the world. Let God do what he wants to do through you. It, these are sobering words from Jesus, but he, he summarized it, I think, really clearly for us in verse 33. This is what I think is the principle of the entire uh, passage here. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's that simple. The only way anyone can truly do what Jesus is asking is if they totally understand the value of what he brings. The value that you place on Christ is what will produce the commitment that he's calling for in your life. If somebody came up to you today and said to you, I'll sell you 51% of Apple stock right now for everything that you have, which one of you would say no? I'm assuming none of you in this room have $350 billion worth of assets at home. Listen, the analogy is so clear. What Christ is offering is far greater than that. The scales are so tipped, it's ridiculous. It's highway robbery, what he's offering us. I will give you salvation and eternity, and all you've got to do is commit everything that you are to me. 
it's not even, it doesn't even tip the scale, guys. Like the scale doesn't move when he does that. It's so great the difference between what he's giving versus what you're giving. But that's why they call it the great exchange. The great exchange. Him giving you his righteousness and you trading it in with, for your filthy rags. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Don't walk away from that. Listen, if you've never committed your heart fully to Christ, don't leave here without doing that. You reach out to to Him and you say, Lord, I'm hearing what you're saying to me today and, and you're tugging at my heart and you know if the Lord's doing that, you know who you are and you know what He's telling you to do. Do it. Commit your life to Him. Consider the cost. I would say consider the gain. Consider it. Weigh it out. Accept Him. Start a relationship with Him. If you've been fooling yourself, listen, pride would stop you from from doing that today. Pride would stop you from saying, oh, man, everybody thinks I'm a Christian already. If you're not, don't act like you are. Just come to Him. Receive Him this morning, right? Listen, if you're a Christian and you've been not living right and you, you've been half committed, you know, you're like in one way in the church, you're, you're, you act one way, but when you get out of the church, you act another way. Christ is calling you right now to stop it. And He's calling you to just come back to full commitment to Him like you once were. Where you, you, you were committed to Him and you were walking with Him and you were saying, Lord, you're my everything. And now He, he doesn't even get the time of day but you say the words, but there's no heart that matches it. God knows. And you know what? What's interesting to me is that he doesn't go, well, if you're doing that to me, then I don't want anything to do with you. No, he says, I love you. I love you right where you are, and I want to take you up in my arms, and I want to help you work through this, whatever it is. He's calling us all to full commitment. It's not a one-time thing. It's a life full of full surrender. And I would say that I waver. And I would say that God's done some work in my heart, even this morning, where God is just saying, Tim, you know, I need to just take this part over and this part over. Let me strip away this thing. That thing has a little too much power over your life. Let me just get rid of some of this stuff. Let me fill, fill you with me. And I know he's speaking to every one of us in here today, somewhere, wherever you are. Don't leave here the same person. Let the Spirit of God do His work in you as we close in in this last song. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace and love for us. And Lord, we thank You that You love us the way that You do. That You would love us, Father, that You would send Jesus and You would give all for us. And Your simple ask for us is that we would give all to You. That we would surrender our hearts to You. Lord, I pray for every person in this room today. You know where they are. You know where they stand with you. You know what needs to happen in their lives right now. Father, we're not trying to put false conviction on people's hearts. We're not trying to put conviction on anyone's heart. Your your word just does that. So Lord, if that's happening this morning, would you help people to respond the way that your spirit would lead them to this morning? If it's salvation, that they would just come and They would accept Jesus this morning. They would just simply 
reach out to you through their own prayer and they would just say, Lord, I need, I need a fresh start. I need you this morning. I need to commit my whole life to you. All my sin, everything, I'm turning away from all that, Lord. And I'm turning to you. I believe that Jesus, he's the answer. That he died for me. That he rose again for me. And I'm committing my whole life to you, Lord. I'm asking you to change me. It's a simple prayer like that, Lord, that starts a relationship with you. And then you radically change people's lives. You take away the things that, that don't belong and you replace them with fruits of your spirit. Lord, for those who are walking, been walking astray from you, those prodigals, Lord, you want them to return this morning. You're just saying, come to me. Come back. You know what it's like. So as your spirit would lead us, However you desire, Lord, we pray as we close that you would just move in your spirit. If they want to come and come to the altar, then so be it. Whatever it might be, Lord, however you want to move, we pray. We lift this time up to you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.